Now, grab your Bibles and open them with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans 1. I'm going to read you the first 17 verses of Paul's great letter to the Roman church. You follow as I read. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So... I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, that word endures forever and ever and ever. Guys, we come this morning to the fourth and final uh, installment of a little four-part series that I uh, used when I spoke to your high schoolers in Gulf Shores. It had to do with the themes that are contained in Romans chapter 1, you may recall. We have already looked at um, the wrath of God, as uh, as mentioned in verse 18. We looked second at that um, that apologetical conundrum of um, what about the poor innocent native in Africa? What happens to him? That was the second in the series. The third was last week when we looked at the the consequences of suppressing the truth in unrighteousness, uh, and saw that that. Um, horrifying descent into sin as a result of suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. But my friends, the theme, not only of Romans 1, the theme in the book of Romans, in the entire book, is the gospel. Paul says that. I mean, it's um, he opens up by saying, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, uh, set apart for the gospel of God. 
And then he begins to give you some details about that gospel. And then he, he goes on over in verse 15 and talks about how eager he is to get to Rome so that he can preach the gospel. He says in verse 16 that he's not ashamed of that gospel. Uh, because it is, it is the power of God to, uh, unto salvation. It's not that, that it contains power or that it's powerful. It is the power. It is the power of God uh, uh, unto salvation. And then he, in verse 17, that very famous statement that provoked Martin Luther and, and many after him uh, to in the, uh, and launched the Protestant Reformation. Verse 17, the just, the just shall live by faith. Paul is overtaken with the gospel. And so he sets out in the book of Romans, which is his longest letter, and it is the most uh, systematically reasoned letter. Uh, it's, it's, he, in 16 chapters, he, he looks at all of the intricacies and the beauties of the contained in the gospel. Uh, it is most people, or at least some people would tell you, that the book of Romans is basically the book of Galatians on steroids. That is that Paul wrote the book of Galatians and he, I'll use this word, he scribbled it down rather hurriedly because of the crisis that existed in Galatia. That is, those who were trying to add uh, circumcision to the gospel. So he wrote that rather hurriedly. But later on, when he had more time, perhaps even in one of his um, prison stays, he writes the book of Romans and he works it out very slowly in great detail. He is, um, he's determined to systematically reason with both Jew and Gentile and, and explain and declare the beauties and the profundities of the gospel. Now guys, it is at this point that uh, in my preparation this past week, I faced a decision. <laughs> my decision was this, or my, my, my choice was this. How do, I, how do I take you? How do I treat this subject? Do I, uh, I take you into, do I, do I bore into the subject and, 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 uh, and try to illustrate the great profundities of justification by faith? Do we talk about the complexities and the and the the nuances of the word imputation? Do I, like we often do on on Wednesday nights, slowly plod through this subject so that so that I can we can see it in all of its facets? I can do that, and very frankly, that's what I did with uh, your high school students uh, back in June. But as I was thinking about it, uh, a quote came to mind, um, and I don't know who said this, but I know where it is. It's found in one of, um, uh, it's found in Holy Sweat, and who's the guy that wrote um, Holy Sweat? But anyway, it's found in that book. And um, the quote is this, the word became flesh, and then through theologians, it became words again. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't want the gospel to be words to you. In one sense, I want to say to you, um, the intricacies and the profundities and the complexities of the gospel are 
are glorious. It will stretch the greatest mind that has ever confronted it. But on the other hand, it's as simple and it is understandable by by those who are far less intelligent and academic than others of you may be. So, I chose the latter course. I want to try to make this as simple as somebody like me can possibly make it. Now, I'm the same guy that is that has been teaching the book of Romans for 11 years. And we're starting chapter 12, August the 12th. But it seemed to me the, the most helpful, at least I hope so, the most helpful course of action was not to, um, not to bore into the details, but to try to give you as simple, as simple as I can make it. And so that's what I'm going to do. So, just two points this morning. Here's the first one. Let me tell you what the gospel is not. The gospel is not good advice. Now, folks, that's a whole lot more profound than you may at first, uh, it may at first strike you, even if I say so myself. The gospel is not good advice. Every other major religion in the, every other religion in the world is basically some collection of good advice for you. What every religion does is tell you this is what you have to do to fix yourself up so that you can make yourself acceptable in the sight of God. Uh, They will offer directions to this shining path or or these principles that you have to inculcate or or there are rules to be uh, observed and laws to be kept. Because, ladies and gentlemen, every religion will give you good advice as to how you might clean up your act so that you can become more acceptable or that you can become acceptable to God. Guys, that's what I call, as as compared to Christianity, that's what I call religion. And that is the thing that really appeals to us. Uh, we, we long to think, we, we love to think that there's somehow that I contributed, that I did something, that I, that I, uh, that I helped in this whole thing of, of saving me. Every other religion, guys, is some form of stringing together a, a list of New Year's resolutions. They are a self-salvation project. And so, those religions offer you advice. Advice as to how you might accomplish this great project of saving yourself. I have people who, who come to my office and usually they've been, they've been propelled in there because of some crisis that is, that has arisen in their lives. It's a health crisis or a marital crisis or a financial crisis and, they come to my office and they say, oh, this is really bad. You know, when Dr. Young, um, uh, I'm going to have to get myself back in church. I'm going to have to start praying more, you know, and, you know, read my Bible. And I listen to that and when it's my turn, I, I say something like this. Well, those are good things. And I hope you do those things because they're good things. But they're not the solution to your problem. 
Because it is once again, ladies and gentlemen, an effort on my part to save myself. Left to myself, I will always come up with some kind of scheme by which I might be involved in the saving of my soul. Folks, if I were going to create a religion, if I were asked to create one, I would create one like the rest of them that exist in the world today. Some kind of self-salvation project. And I'd give my advice as to how you might accomplish that. I want to try to illustrate what I'm saying uh, in a story that's found. Uh, it's a familiar story. You know the story. It's, have you ever heard the story of the golden calf? <laughs> in some ways, it's comical. Um, I, I don't think it was intended to be comical, but it is. Uh, it, 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 that story is found in Exodus 32. If you can find that real quick, I'd love for you to, to see it. Uh, Exodus 32. Let me tell you a little bit about, um, gosh, um, Israel has just been extracted from Egypt by those ten plagues. You remember all that business? And then they came to the Red Sea and God parted the Red Sea and they walked across. And, and then the, the, right behind them comes the uh, army of uh, Egypt and they're all drowned and all that business. And then they're, they're on the other side of the Red Sea and they have now arrived at Sinai. Mount Sinai. You've heard of that, haven't you? That's where Moses goes to get the Ten Commandments. And so he's up on the top of, um, of Sinai getting the Ten Commandments. The problem is he spends 40 days up there. 40 days. And so there he is up on the mountain for 40 days. And the people get kind of restless. <laughs> kind of. Actually, they get real restless. I'm in verse 1 of 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered together to, uh, to Aaron and said to him, Hey, Aaron, up. Make us gods who shall go before us. And then this next sentence is the one I think is comical. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. <laughs> Moses? Moses who? I don't remember anybody by the name of Moses. Uh, maybe, but what? we don't know what's happened to him. We don't really care about him. Listen, Aaron, here's what you want. We, here's what we want you to do. Verse two. Uh, we want you to, or you said verse one. We want you to make us some gods. Make us some gods, Aaron, so, so that, you know, they can lead us on into the future. Make us a god or so. And so Aaron says in verse two, Okay, um, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears uh, and your wives, uh, in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. Okay, take off all the gold uh, jewelry you got and bring it over here. And so look at this now. Uh, so the people took it all and gave brought them down. Verse 4, and he, that is Aaron, received the gold from their hand and fashioned it. Look at that, guys. He received the gold and then he fashioned it with a graving tool. And made a golden calf. Now, by the way, just to race ahead for a moment, when Moses gets back and Moses is so angry, Aaron denies all this. He uh, he says in, um, where is it? Uh, verse 24. Aaron is speaking. He says, so I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. <laughs> See, it is funny. I told you it was funny. Uh, I threw it in there. And out comes this golden calf. Gosh. But the text says he took the gold and he fashioned it. He took a fashioning tool and he, and he, made, a, um, he made a golden calf. And then look at verse 4. This is the tragedy of it all. 
And he received the, the gold from them, from their hand and fashioned it with a, a, a graving tool and made a golden calf. And here it is. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Those are the ones. These are the suckers that, that, that got us out of Egypt. Now you're talking, Aaron. I understand those. Yeah, I'm really comfortable with those gods. I like those gods. And you know why I like them, Aaron? Because I made a contribution. Yes, sir. I put my gold in with everybody else's. Yes, sir, Reed Bobby. That's what I'm talking about. Give me a God. Give me a God that, that, that I understand the one that, that I contributed to its creation. Because ladies and gentlemen, inside of all of us is this desire to save ourselves, to contribute, to do something. So that when it's all done, I can stand up and say, you see there? Ladies and gentlemen, the entirety of the Bible unites to say not. That is not. The gospel. It's religion, ladies and gentlemen. And it won't save you. But it's far more understandable and accommodating to human flesh. And some of you in this room, that is your whole religious position. It's our default mode, folks. Left to ourselves, that's the kind of religion we want. That's the kind of religion we adopt. But then here's my second point, folks. Then, in contrast to that, that is, if, if the gospel is not good advice, then what is it? The gospel is not good advice, ladies and gentlemen. The gospel is good news. It's good news in the sense that what the gospel offers you is a description, an announcement, a proclamation about what God has done for you. If you're still in the book of Exodus, I just want to show you in contrast to that, that, uh, Exodus 32. This is in, this is in Exodus 19. Uh, it's in verse 4. And God is speaking and he says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And here's what I want you to see. And how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Guys, do you see the difference in 32.4 and 19.4? God says... You know how you got out of that bondage? You know how you got delivered from that slavery? It was something that I did. 
I bore you out on eagle's wings and I brought you to myself. Ladies and gentlemen, the gospel is a proclamation. It's an announcement about what God has done for us. Folks, and in the gospel, the centerpiece of what God has done for us is to be found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The life and the death of Jesus Christ. Everything that I owed, he paid. Everything that I was supposed to do, he did. Everything that was needed for me to be acceptable in the sight of God, Christ did it for me. All of the demands that God has made on me, He has, that is, Christ has accomplished them for me. And then, all of that merit, all of that righteousness, all of that accomplishment becomes mine. God is willing to give that to me. In response to Not earning it, not working for it, but simply receiving it with an empty hand of faith. Guys, um, what the gospel calls me to is to a surrender. The gospel is calling me to give up my self-salvation project. And to yield. To yield to the finished work of Jesus Christ for me. And perhaps that's why it's so hard. The whole idea of surrendering my project. Guys, when... Almost 40 years ago now, when Jim Kennedy... Dr. D. James Kennedy walked into our apartment in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. When he arrived there at 8 p.m. on a Thursday night, Jimmy Young had his own Savior. It was him. And so what I had to do after hearing the gospel is discard that project, that self-salvation project, And lay hold with an empty hand of faith to what Christ had accomplished for me. I'll I'll close with a story that I don't think I've ever told you before. And I don't think it's a true story, but it might be. It was about a man who, um, who owned a warehouse in Baltimore. It was in one of the, the rough sections of Baltimore. In fact, it was a, it was really a, you know, urban blight kind of place and, and the, uh, the, the, the warehouse stood in this section of town that nobody wanted to go into and the building was in a, an advanced state of disrepair and the windows were all broken out and the, 
and the uh, the doors were hanging on by one hinge and the rats had taken over and you know the paint was all peeled off and it was just a wreck of a building the guy really wanted to dump it he wanted to get rid of it and but he nobody wanted to buy that building and so on one afternoon he gets a phone call from his realtor and sure enough there's somebody that's interested in his building Wants to know if he'll meet him down there at uh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The man said, well, sure, I'll be there at 3 o'clock. So he shows up at 3 o'clock, and there, sure, there's a potential buyer standing right there, you know, looking at the building, guy walking around it and sizing it up and taking a look at the neighborhood and, you know, just looking around. And and the uh, the owner of the building turns to the potential buyer and says this. He says, um, listen, I, I know she doesn't look real good right now, and, and uh, I understand why that doesn't, but I, 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 I'm going to fix this thing up. I, you know, I can put in the new windows and I can change the doors and, and, a, and a paint job and the thing will be fine. She'll just be wonderful. And the potential buyer said to the owner, he said, oh, that won't be necessary. I'm not interested in the building. I'm only interested in the site. Ladies and gentlemen. The gospel does not call you to some kind of clean-up, paint-up, fix-up project. In fact, what the gospel does is come into a life and sweep away all that's there. And then God begins to build on that site something beautiful. The gospel is not good advice for you, ladies and gentlemen. The gospel is good news about what God does for you. So, my friend, if you were in the midst of a self-salvation project, give it up. It will never succeed. The gospel is the power of God to save us. That, in that, there is hope for people as wicked as I am. Our Father, I do pray that we might find ourselves becoming all over again excited about as was Paul, preaching the gospel in any place and in every place. Because it is such a glorious description of things that you have done for us, people who didn't deserve those things. And so, Father, if you have brought people here today who are so benighted, so befuddled, as to think the way to be made acceptable in your sight is to work hard and clean up the site. I pray, oh God, that you will show them by the power and might of your spirit that they are on a fool's errand and it will end in disaster. Cause people to see that the only salvation is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one who lived the life that I should have lived and died the death that I should have died. All so that someone like me 
could be extracted from sin's bondage and be made brand new. Oh God, that is indeed some good news. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name.